are in a series. Uh, we took a short break last week. If last week was your first week here for Easter, uh, thanks for being here last week and coming, coming back this week. But we're in a series going through the book of James, and we have two more uh, sermons in this series. We will talk uh, today about kind of difficult relationships, and we will talk next week about suffering and the hard stuff in life. So two great topics that we all deal with. And then after that, uh, we are going to do a series looking at work and what the Bible has to say about our jobs, what the Bible has to say about work. And we'll cover all sorts of different things in there, both what it looks like to deal with difficult relationships in work and what it looks like to choose work and what God's purpose is for work and all sorts of stuff. So it's going to be great. If you have a job, uh, this will be a great series for you. And if you don't have a job, um, then it'll be may- maybe you'll get a job after this and it, and it, and it will help you. Um, no promises. Um, so this is what we are talking about today. I'm going to ask you to do something uh, that is probably not something that you want to do, but we're going to do it anyway. I'm, I want you to think of your most recent uh, conflict that you have had. And maybe that's not hard for you. Maybe, maybe that happened uh, 10 minutes ago. Maybe you're texting somebody right now and you're still in the middle of it. Maybe uh, it's something that is ongoing. Maybe it's not kind of this one-time thing, but it's an ongoing thing that's been a part of your life for a while. Uh, but I want you to think of kind of the most recent conflict or current conflict that you are in the middle of or have been in, because this is what James talks about today. And all of us have conflict. That might be uh, at, at your job. You might have conflict. You, that might be at home with a spouse or with your kids or whoever you live with. Uh, you could have conflict there. It can be uh, in your family, kind of your greater, you know, broader family outside of uh, the people that you live with. It could be kind of all sorts of different kinds of relationships that we can have conflict with, right? And, and none of us like conflict. I mean, I, I like, you know, a lot of people say, man, I really am afraid of conflict or I really don't like conflict. But I think that's all of us. I don't think anybody says, man, I really enjoy conflict. It's, it's really, that's, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning is I can't wait to fight with somebody. Or if they do say that, then, you know, you probably don't want to be near them. Um, but all of us have conflict and we don't, we don't really like it. And, and then here's what happens. We often expect the church to be different. We expect church to be different. We expect church to be a place where there's not going to be conflict. Because, man, you've got all these people that love Jesus and, you know, maybe read the Bible and are trying to be good people or whatever. And we expect, man, church is going to be a place that's different than that. Church is going to be a place, maybe maybe you go, man, I hope church can be a safe place from that. I've got all this drama in other places in my life, but ah, this is an oasis from that. And if you've been a part of the church for any period of time, um, you start to quickly realize that's really not the case. In fact, I, I think that the church can actually be worse for conflict. I think the church can actually be a place where people experience more conflict because the kind of people that are here are messed up. And I'm not just talking about right here, but I mean in Christianity. Because what is it that bonds us together? What is it that brought us all in this room together? It's not a bunch of people that are saying, hey, we're really good, so let's come together. It's a bunch of people with different backgrounds and different experiences and different ages and different ethnicities that all come together and say, here's what's bonding us together. We're messed up and we believe we need a savior. I mean, the defining factor of our group is we believe we are sinful people that need someone to help us. So if you grab a collection of people that say, man, I've got problems and I need someone to help me, well, of course there's going to be issues. Of course there's going to be conflict. We shouldn't be surprised by that. And James writes, James writes to the church and he, there is some serious conflict going on. There's some serious issues going on. It, it happened back then and it, and it happens today and it's not something that we should be surprised about in the church, but James wants to help. James wants to help. It's not something we should be surprised by, but it's definitely something that we can be helped in. It's definitely something we can be uh, experiencing a better way forward in. And so James is going to help us. This is what we're going to look at today. If we want to experience help in our conflict, we need to know where it comes from, and we need to know what's a better way forward in dealing with it. So as we talk about this, I want you to just try to have in your mind a conflict. Don't let it be abstract for you. Don't let it be uh, just kind of a Bible passage that was written a long time ago. Let it be something that is for right now in your life. What's the current conflict? What's the recent conflict? Or where do kind of conflicts continue to pop up in your life? So we're going to read uh, the beginning of chapter four of what James says, and then we will go back through and, and look how James can help us. So here we go. 
Here's what he says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Here's where we begin. What causes our conflict? Man, this is such an important question. This is such an important question. What causes our conflict? Think of the conflict that you have in your life or that you continue to experience in your life. Why is it that we struggle with people? Where does the conflict come from? Isn't, I mean, isn't that just such an important question? Why? What causes it? And people try to answer that question. People try to figure that out. If, if you could solve in your life, if you could solve, man, where do my issues come from? Where do these conflicts come from? Wouldn't that be helpful? If you could actually go, I know where it's from. Because if you can know where it's from, then you can know how to begin to deal with it. And we, we give all sorts of reasons of where our conflict comes from. We might say it's our background. Well, this is the way I was raised. Or uh, this is kind of, you know, I don't know. Some people say, well, I'm I'm Irish, and this is just what Irish people do. Or, oh, I'm, you know, I'm Puerto Rican. So sometimes I, well, I'm Puerto Rican. So that's, you know, that's just what Puerto Ricans do. I mean, as if you could categorize a whole, you know, country of people or a whole, I'm Irish, I'm Scottish. This is, and a lot of times it's the same stuff also. You know, it's like, I'm German. Or I'm, it's like, well, that's the same thing that the Italian said. Or I'm the, whatever. Like, you, you say it's your background or your ethnicity. Or, or maybe we say it's our hormones. And, man, I've just got stuff going on. Or I'm tired. Or I'm sick. Or and you know, I, so I, I got into this argument because I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, that kind of thing. Or, or we might say it's the other person. That's probably the most common. Uh, it's them. You, man, when you do this, you make me really upset. When you do this, it creates all sorts of issues. If you wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have done this. Why, why is it that you have a conflict right now? If you think about it, if you think about your last conflict, probably... The easiest thing for you to answer of, why do I have this conflict? The easiest way to answer it is to say, because they blah, 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 right? That's the easiest. I mean, you could give me all sorts of reasons why the other person is at fault, right? I mean, isn't, I mean come on. That's just how we, how we do it, right? It's a lot easier to be able to go, I can tell you why we got this conflict. I've got a name for you. You know what James says? James says, here's where our conflict comes from. He's, he's going to give us this progression that, that we will look at. Here's where it begins. It begins with our desire. It's very simple. But he says, what causes the quarrels? What causes the fights? And I like that he puts both of those in there. I don't know if there's necessarily a strict kind of distinction between a quarrel and a fight, but I at least think of a fight as kind of more intense and a quarrel just as kind of back and forth arguing a little bit, you know. What causes it? And he says, it's, isn't it this? He says, what causes it? Isn't it this? Isn't it the passions at war within you? Don't you have things that you want but you don't get? I mean, at the, at the end of the day, isn't, isn't all of our conflict just begin with you want something? We want something and we don't have it. I, my, my kids say this. I love it. They're honest. We, we, they might do something bad and we just ask them, hey, why'd you, why did you do that? Why did you fight with her? Or why did you say they just Because I wanted to. It's just, there's no other reason. I wanted to do it. Why did you disobey? I wanted to. It's like, duh, you know. It's like, all right, well, have you been reading James? Have you been paying attention? <laughs> it's great because it's true. I mean, it's where, what causes our conflict? At, at the end of the day, 
it just begins with something really simple. We want something. James says, isn't it this? Don't you want something and you, and you don't get it? But then he, he goes a little bit deeper because it's not just that we desire things. It's then that we begin to demand those things. We have desires that then get a little bit more intense. See, James wants to probe a little bit and get us to think because he says, you've got desires that you want something. You've got these passions. You, you want something and you don't have it. But then he uses language that's a little more intense. He says, you adulterous people. Uh, that kind of seems to come out of nowhere. He says, look, there's things that you desire. There's things that you want, which leads to conflict with people. But what's really going on? What's really happening in the heart when we want something? It's that these desires have turned into demands because our desires have become gods to us. This is what the adulterous people language is because what James is saying, and the Bible uses this metaphor a lot to describe the relationship God has with his people. It uses it in a marriage kind of analogy to say God is like a husband and the church is like his bride. His people are his bride. And so he says, look, you have conflict, right? And it's because you want something and you're not able to get it. But then he says, look, let me give you an even harsher, pinpointed criticism of where this is coming from. You're an adulteress. What? He says, friendship with the world, when our hearts are aligned to other things, when we love other things, when we become attached to other things, when our hearts really, at the end of the day, love something, when our hearts become friends with various things, he says, this is adultery because your, your true love is supposed to be God, the one that your heart is supposed to be set on, the one that you have committed your heart to is supposed to be God, but there's other things that we commit our hearts to. That's what adultery is. There's other things that we give ourselves to, other things that we give our hearts to, and this is what leads to conflict. See, James says, yes, there's desires, but you know, there's a lot of things that we have desires for that aren't bad things. A lot of your conflicts, you have desire for something. That doesn't mean that that's a bad thing. But when the desire starts to become a demand or it starts to become something that is akin to adultery, where our heart is actually set on it, we love it, it begins to lead to conflict. So let me give you some examples. This is from um, two authors named Tim Lane and Paul Tripp. And, and they list, commenting on this passage, they list some various things that our heart can be set on. And I want you to think about this in your conflict, okay? Whatever your conflict is. Don't, and don't think about another person. This is, this is probably what's going to happen. As we start to list these out, you're going to be like, yep, that's what they're doing. That's what it is. And okay, so then, you know, circle it and, and give it to them later. But, but at least right now, work on this for you, okay? What, what is it that your heart actually goes, man, I love this. And here's some examples. Maybe it's comfort. I want, must have, and deserve comfort. And you better not get in the way of me getting it. I fear hard work. And maybe this doesn't speak exactly to, to you, but, but think about the underlying idea. Is comfort what you love? Is comfort what, in a functional way, has become a mistress? Is comfort what has become this thing that your heart loves and is set on and is pursuing instead of God. Comfort, or maybe it's pleasure. I want, must have, and deserve pleasure, and you better give it to me. I, I fear pain. And they're kind of showing that the, these desires, these adultery, are. there's two sides. One is what we want and desire, and the other is what we fear. Or maybe it's recognition. I want, must have, and deserve recognition. Or I'll be devastated. I fear being overlooked. Maybe some of your conflicts come because you really want someone to recognize all the hard work you're doing. In, in, in uh, marriage relationships with spouses, this can often be, don't you see what I'm doing? I'm working so hard. I'm, I'm the one always taking care of the kids. I'm the one always serving you. I'm the one always, and you don't, never, can I get a little thanks? Can I get a little appreciation? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be thanked or appreciated. But when it becomes something that's a desire that moves to a demand, that's where conflict comes from. Or maybe it's power. I want, must have, deserve power. And you better do what I say. I fear being told what to do. Maybe you just really don't want anyone to control you. Look, get off my back. Stop telling me what to do. Let me just do things the way I want to do them. This could be with your boss. This could be with a spouse. This could be with a friend. 
You don't like any authority. You don't want anyone kind of speaking into your life. And maybe some of the conflict comes out of that. Or control, similar to power. I want, must have, deserve control. And you will feel the brunt of my disappointment if you mess up my tidy little universe. I wish someone would actually say that, just word for word. You, know? <laughs> you will feel the brunt of my disappointment if you mess up my tidy little universe. <laughs> it's kind of hard to roll off the tongue. It's a lot, but I fear unpredictability. Maybe, maybe you're someone that really wants the house a certain way, really wants it clean. Or maybe, maybe you're a boss, maybe you're a manager, and there's a very strict way of doing things that you want. This is where micromanagement a lot of times comes from, and a lot of conflicts that then end up coming out of that. Or acceptance. I want, must have, deserve acceptance, and you are responsible to give it to me. I fear rejection. Maybe this creates some conflict in friendships. You, you really want people to give you the affection and give you the appreciation and, and always be inviting you to hang out and always be, man, you really feel left out if there was a group of people hanging out and you weren't in on it. And leads to, leads to conflict. Again, there's nothing wrong with control. There's nothing wrong with acceptance. There's nothing wrong with recognition. There's nothing wrong with any of these things per se. But what James says, what James says is, look, you desire something. There's things that you want that you don't get. Things you want that you don't get. And then James says, but there's something going on even deeper than that. It's adultery. There's things that you love. There's things that your heart is attached to. There's things that your heart is committed to. And often these aren't tangible things. It's, it's things like those. It's experiences. It's feelings. It's emotions. It's... It's places that we get a sense of value and worth and identity. And James even says, look, you, you will even, you'll even, you, part of the reason you're not getting these things is because you don't ask. He's talking about prayer. He says, part of the reason you don't get these things is because you're not praying. There's things in your life you're not experiencing because you're, you're not praying. But then he says, look, even there's times that you pray. You ask, and God's not going to answer your prayer because you want it to actually commit adultery. It'd be like a husband asking his wife, hey, could you give me $100 for what? Well, I got this date with this girl tonight. He says, there's things that you're actually asking from God that God's not going to give to you because you just want to spend it on these things that your heart is actually attached to. So where does conflict come from? James shows us these things that connect. There's desires that lead to demands. What, what is it for you? What is it for you? Maybe it's one of those. Maybe it's a couple of those that you can identify. And then you know what begins to happen? We begin to judge people. And this is what James talks about at the end of the passage. We, we begin to judge people. Think about this. You, you can see people's faults really clearly, right? I mean, I can. I, I know you can. We, can. we can see people's faults really clearly. But think about this. When you see people's faults, and think about the person you're in conflict with, when you see people's faults, does it create sadness in you? Or does it create just a spirit of self-righteousness in you? A spirit of anger in you? When you see people's faults, are you filled with sorrow of, man, they've got this stuff in their life. I, I, I wish that God would be able to help them and change them. And Man, they must be struggling with stuff. And Man, I hope... or. Is your heart filled with, I see their faults, that idiot. I see their faults and all the accusations. You see, James says that do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law, talking about God's word, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, talking about God. He's able to save and to destroy. But who are you? to judge your neighbor. And, you know, we, we love as a culture to talk all the time about not judging and who are you to judge, but I think we are the most judgmental people in the world. We see people's faults really clearly, and this is what begins to happen. We have things that we desire that turn into demands because they're adultery. They're things that our hearts are actually set on, and then we begin to judge people for not meeting those demands for us. So think about in your conflicts that you have, don't all their faults come so easily to you? 
And probably most of the time, those faults don't hit you and you're overwhelmed with sadness and sorrow and prayer for them, even though as a part of a Christian family, that's what we would be called to. Instead, those things hit you and you feel bitter, you feel resentment. And often when our demands are not met for appreciation and control and recognition and whatever else it might be, we, we judge, we nitpick, right? We see, well, they did this and they did this, and we assign motive to things. I mean, this happens all the time. Somebody does something and you go back in your mind, well, that's because of this. That's because you don't really care about me. That's because... I mean, so many arguments, so many conflicts, so many bad emails have been sent because we judge people's motives. Haven't you gotten a text before? And you're like, oh, I cannot believe you just said that to me. And the person was like, what are you talking about? I was just saying, I mean, what? Like, I don't, I don't even know. I wasn't trying to be, I need more emojis in there. I need smiley faces. I, that's why emojis got invented, right? Is to try to help, like to express, I'm feeling really happy when I'm saying this. And then you're like, yeah, you're just sarcastic or whatever, right? That's a fake smile. That's a fake emoji smile. You even judge the emojis. But we assign motive. We assign emotives. We assign emojis to people. We assign motives to people. Do we not? This is what happens in a conflict. We have things that we desire that turn into demands, and then we begin to judge people. We begin to think that we read their hearts correctly. We begin to look for their faults. We begin to connect the dots as we build a case. You're really committed not to meeting my demand. See, because you did this thing and you did this thing, and then there was this one time you did this thing, and we kind of connect the dots. This is judgment. This is exactly what James is talking about when he says, Look, who are you to judge? Who are you to judge? How do you know what's going on in someone's heart? And why is it that you're taking a posture of judge, even if you're right, and looking for the faults in people? How sick is that? We do that, right? We look for the faults in people. And maybe we're even right. I'm not saying we're wrong. Maybe, maybe you, I mean, sometimes you assign motives. You might actually be right. But all of that is coming from a spirit that's saying, I'm trying to find fault in you. I'm trying to be the judge looking for what's wrong in you. And you know that people have done this to you, and it's infuriating, right? And, and it's, it's hurtful. And yet we do the same thing to other people. Where does conflict come from? What causes it? It begins with desires that turn into demands that then lead to judgment. There's an author and counselor named David Pallison who comments on this, and I love what he says. Here's what he says. He says, when you and I fight about judgment, our minds become filled with accusations. Your wrongs and my rights preoccupy me. We think about their wrongs, and we think about our rights. That's judgment. We play the self-righteous judge in the many kingdoms we establish. You are so stupid, cruel, insensitive, selfish. You've gotten in my way. You don't get it. You are a hindrance to my agenda. What's an argument? In an argument, you offend me by crossing my will. You do something against my desires. I respond by confessing your offenses to you. I tell you all the things that you've done against me. At the same time, I explain to you how all my failings are really your fault. Well, I wouldn't have done this if you wouldn't have done that. If only you were different, I wouldn't be the way I am. You do the same to me. Then the other person does that to you. Confessing my sins to me and excusing your own. Nowhere in the heat of conflict does anyone confess his own sins except as a way to buy time for a counterattack. Yeah, I was wrong to do that, but... Desire leads to adultery, leads to demanding desire, leads to judgment, us playing God, which then eventually leads to the actual conflict, because a lot of these steps, and you know, this doesn't have to be super linear like this, something can happen right here, but this is kind of the, the process that begins to happen. We have things that we want, that get turned into deeper things that we must have, that our hearts are committed to in a love relationship that then leads to our thoughts and our minds being filled with all the things wrong that the other person is doing for not meeting our demands, which then actually leads to whatever sort of conflict is going to happen. And this can happen in an instant, and this can happen over time in a relationship, 
And this can happen um, in an hour-long kind of excursion, if you want to call it that, with a, with a spouse or somebody. And the conflict that this leads to can be words. James specifically talks about words. It can lead to words to somebody where we speak harsh and ugly and mean things to people or just kind of sly, sarcastic things to people. Or it can be words that we don't even say to the person, but we say about the person. This happens all the time. All the freaking time. That's in the Bible, I think, somewhere. <laughs> James put the pen down before he wrote that. He was like, oh, again, here we go. All the time, man. How many times? Look, ah, man, gossip. Gossip. You've been so hurt by gossip, and yet we do it over and over again. Gossip is when we speak bad of somebody to somebody else. That's it. But it's true. It doesn't matter. It's gossip. But I was asking for prayer. It doesn't matter. It's gossip. But I needed somebody to help me and give me advice. Yeah, but you know what happens? It creates, it creates this person now having a bunch of bad information about somebody else, and you create this whole process with another person where now they're the judge, and you're getting them on your side. You're, trying, you're being the lawyer trying to woo the jury on your side also. This is what is one of the most destructive things in relationships, especially in churches. And again, I say especially in churches because Christians just sprinkle Jesus dust on it and say it's okay. I just needed prayer. I needed prayer for this, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little tired, so I almost said something. But uh, for this jerk, for this bottom hole, you know, I... <laughs> That's okay, right? That's PG. <laughs> That's what we do. We need prayer for it. We need prayer for it. Look, gossip James talks about. James says we use our words. Or he even he says murder, and maybe it leads to actual physical contact, but it can also just be the way we destroy people's lives. We have things that we want that leads then to demanding them, that leads to them thinking poorly of another person and cultivating that in our hearts, that then leads to conflict. It can be conflict with words. It can be conflict with actions. Or you know how sometimes we conflict? We just peace out. We just withdraw. That's still conflict. To give someone the cold shoulder is still conflict. If you're married, you know this, right? If you just ignore somebody, that's still conflict. No, I mean, if you've ever given your spouse the cold shoulder and just gone to the other room, they didn't go, man, I'm so glad we're not fighting anymore. This is great, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, that's still conflict, to withdraw from relationship, to say, hey, you know what? I'm just done. That's conflict. To pull out, to pull back, to pull away from is conflict. There's things that we want, James says. I, I love how simple in some ways this is, right? It's not super complicated. James says, where does it come from? You want something, and somebody's standing in the way of that. You demand something, and somebody doesn't give it to you. You begin to fill your heart and your mind with all of their faults and all of your rights as the judge. And it leads to words being said to them or most likely about them. It leads to actions. It leads to pulling away. We've experienced this progression Right? Time after time, we've experienced this progression in our own lives and others doing it to us. And oftentimes we feel stuck. We feel stuck. We don't really, I mean, a lot of times in conflict, people feel stuck. There might be a pattern in like a, a certain relationship where this kind of thing has been continuing for a while. Look, you could stretch this out. Maybe this is a year long. Maybe this is three years long. Maybe, man, for some of you, this could be decades long with family and and we sometimes go, I don't even, yes, okay, it's there. How do I get out of this, though? Or when this is happening in the moment with somebody and you're in a conflict, you're, how do I get out of this? This is what causes it. How do we get, how do we get out of this? And James says there's a, there's a better way. If we can honestly start here, and we've got to be honest. That's why James is asking questions. He says, isn't it this? I, I like how he asks questions. He doesn't just say it, but he's kind of asking these leading questions because he wants us to agree because it takes honesty to begin to move forward. So he says, look, isn't it this? Can't we get on the same page here? Is it not this? Come on, come on, come on. Is it, isn't it this? And then if we can say, yes, okay, honestly, it is. That's what's going on. 
Then he says, all right, there's a better way. Let, let me help you. So what can, change our, what can change our desires? If it all begins with desires, if it all begins with desires, what can change our, what can change our desires? If it starts there, how, how, do, how do we cut it off at the be, beginning? And <clears throat> James puts it in this relational context. He puts it in a relational context, I already mentioned this, with God of adultery. And he says, here's the problem. You've left him. And he wants you back. You see, you've left him. You've left God. And he wants you back. The picture here of the adultery, think about this. And I'm using a man just because, I mean, I've been around a lot of adultery situations in my life. And I'm not, that's not not me. Um, but I've been around a lot of people who've had marriages broken or really damaged by adultery. Um, and a lot of times what happens is, and I know women commit adultery as well, but a lot of times it's men. And a guy goes looking for something else. He says, this is what we are doing. We're going and we're looking for something else while all along we have a great spouse that loves us. A great spouse that loves us and cares for us and is for us. And he says, you're out here knocking on doors. You're out here looking for ladies. And all along, you've got somebody at home that loves you and cares about you. This is what James is wanting us to think about with God. And the amazing thing with it is that this God wants us back. The amazing thing is this God wants us back. He says, God put within us his spirit and he yearns for it jealously see god is very jealous not like a petty uh why are you talking to that person jealousy but god is very jealous in a way that god says you're mine you belong to me we're in a relationship and my heart is yours and your heart is supposed to be mine but the cool thing, the amazing thing, the beautiful thing about God is he runs after us when we are running after other lovers. Maybe you have experienced adultery in some way. Maybe your parents, it harms your family, or maybe, maybe a spouse, or maybe some of you have been hurt by adultery. But if you're in a relationship now, here's what I know. This is one of the top things that people say, man, it would be really hard for me to forgive if you did this to me. Now, I've seen a lot of relationships where people have made it through adultery. But most people would say, man, it would be really hard for me if you were to betray me like that. If you were to leave me like that. The amazing thing about God is in the context of talking about adultery, it says he yearns for us. He wants us back. He pursues us. See, what can change our desires for all of these other things that we love, whether that's recognition or appreciation or power or control? It's only if we begin to see there's, there's a God at home better, a God that is so gracious that even in the middle of our adultery, he's saying, come on back. Even in the middle of us, even in the middle of us saying, I love these things. We have a God that says, I want you. And, and James says, he gives more grace. He gives more grace. In the middle of our conflict with God, God's response is grace. In the middle of humanity's conflict with God, Jesus comes to earth. God comes to earth. In the middle of conflict, God comes to earth and says, I want you back. In the middle of conflict, Jesus goes to the cross to die and forgive us our sins. And on the cross, as think about this, on the cross as they are, as he has nails in his hands and he's bleeding out and dying from suffocation, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This is what James says. He gives more grace. He gives more grace while you're pursuing other lovers, while you're out there cheating on God. And we might not view it that way, but that's why James turns up the heat to say, look, this is what's really going on. You are committing your heart to other gods, to other things that you love. You are, you are loving and pursuing these things. And James says, but you know what? There's a God waiting for you at home that loves you 
that gives more grace in the middle of your conflict, gives more grace in the middle of your sin, gives more grace. This is the only stuff that begin, can begin to change our desires is when we see there's a better God. There's a better, there's a better one that I can love. There's a better lover. And so then our hearts don't have to be so committed to loving these other things. This is what can change our desires. So then what's the way forward? What's the way forward? And James gives us kind of a bunch of actions to do. He gives a bunch of verbs that he says, do this, do this, do this, do this. And I don't necessarily think it's a linear process. I think these things kind of happen at different times. It's kind of all the ingredients of what it looks like to move forward. So again, what's the conflict you're in right now? Don't let this be abstract, please, because I know, man, I had conflict this week. I'm sure you had conflict this week. Maybe stuff that's ongoing, or, or maybe this is just what you need for two hours from now when you get home. That's how long this is going to go. No, I just... <laughs> Uh, maybe, maybe, this is what, maybe this is what you need today, or maybe it's what you need in the middle of what's happening. What's the way forward? You know what James says? Here, here's where he begins. Submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to God. That's where James begins, which is not where we usually begin when we think about conflict. We think about what do they need to do? The only way this conflict's going to move forward is if they do this. Or maybe if we're even like maybe a little more mature, we might think, here's some things I need to do to move the conflict forward. But James doesn't start with either of those places. James says, you're in the middle of conflict. You've got things going on. Here's what you need to do first. Submit yourself to God. It's amazing wisdom that is not what we often do. To say, look, before you do anything, before you go anywhere, before anything happens, why don't you just say to God, God, I want what you want. God, before anything happens, before any more words come out of my mouth, before any more actions come from my hands, before any more texts get sent, God, I want what you want. I submit this to you. I submit this situation. I submit this person. I submit this conflict. I submit myself to you. And what if we really did start there? So much would change. You know what? So much would change all the way back at the beginning of the desire stage. That when we begin to feel these different kind of uh, judgments spurring up in us or someone doing something that we feel like wrongs us, if we just started here, said, God, this belongs to you. So much of it would never even get to a conflict stage. We would just go, you know what? I don't even need to talk about this with them. I can just forgive them and move on. The Bible says one of the strategies for conflict that we can do, there's different things that we can do, but one of them is just to overlook an offense. Just to be able to say, you know what, I don't even need to think about it. Just, I'm just letting God take care of it and whatever. Yeah, I know. They sinned against me and I've sinned against people, but God, what do you want in this? I just give it to you. He says, what if we started with, James says, submit yourselves to God, which is to genuinely have a heart that says, God, I want what you want. Then he says to resist the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. One of the names for Satan in the Bible is the accuser. The accuser. And when we make judgments of people, that's exactly what we're doing. When we make judgments of other people, when our, look, if you, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. Look, I don't know what you think about Satan or what you think about the devil. And if it's kind of a foreign idea to you, um, the Bible teaches that there is an evil spirit, an evil being that exists. And all I can say is this, isn't it so easy to think about all the things wrong of other people? And the Bible says that's one of Satan's main job descriptions. His name is the accuser. I am the accuser. So do you think it's by happenstance that in so many conflicts, and I'll just say even specifically in the church and in marriages, things God cares about and in friendships, that so naturally people's wrongs come so fresh in our minds. 
Satan is the accuser. This is why in the middle of a passage on conflict, he says, look, you've got to resist the devil. Your mind, your heart is being filled with accusations and judgments on other people. And there's somebody there next to you helping you do that. Somebody there that wants to cultivate that in your heart. He says, resist the devil, which just means when you begin to feel that stuff coming on, when you begin to hear thoughts and all the person's faults, to go, God, I don't want that in my mind. I don't want that there. Lord, and to resist the devil isn't to go on a big, long conversation with the devil. It's to talk with God and say, God, get that stuff. Help me to think good of my brother, of my sister. Lord, help me to, help me to desire good for even if there are faults there. Lord, I pray for those things. Instead of letting the cultivation happen. And then he says this, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. And this is getting at both parts of sin. To cleanse your hands is to say, look, confess. Confess the different things that you have done, the actions that you've done, the words that you have spoken. Our hands represent those things that we've actively done against somebody. Confess the way that you have pulled back from people. Confess the way that you have used your words to harm people. Con cleanse your hands. It's the actions. And purify your hearts. Purify your hearts is to confess those adulteries, to confess those things that we have set our hearts on, to bring those to God. He says, submit to God, resist the devil, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. Then he says, be wretched. Be wretched. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. That's nobody's favorite Bible verse. <laughs> I've never seen that on a bumper sticker. You've never texted a friend and be like, I have an encouraging scripture for you this morning. Be wretched <laughs> and mourn. And what James is saying here is to grieve our sin. Let me, let me ask you this, and you're not going to answer me back, but I want you to just answer in your own heart. Have you ever felt that about your sin? Have you ever felt that specifically about your conflict with other people? Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Have you ever felt that for your part in your sin in conflict? Or have you only felt that about the way somebody has sinned against you in conflict? If we've never felt that about our part in conflict, maybe we need to hear what James is saying. Which is to say, look, this really grieves God's heart. And you might be thinking that you're just kind of wanting someone that, something's not, that someone's not giving to you or someone's just being a jerk. To you. you might just think that, yeah, whatever, I was kind of rude. You might just think that that's what's going on, but do you understand how deep this actually is? James says a very proper emotion, a very proper response is to feel like this. And if we've never, I'm just saying, look, if we've never felt that way about our part in conflict, maybe we've never really owned the depths of our participation in it. Just think, just think about it, okay? You can, you can disagree with me, but I mean... He's saying it. And then he says, humble yourself before God. Humble yourself before God, before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Which is to say that we, we come weak. So many times in conflict, what do we want to do? We want to puff up, right? We want to assert ourselves. We want to we guard ourselves. We want to get ready for the fight. We want to, whatever it is, we want to kind of get up. And he says, humble yourself, which is to come in weakness. It's to come and say, God, I need you. It's to come and say, God, I, maybe I don't see all the parts here. It's to come and say, man, I need help. And he says, and God will exalt you, which is to say, if this is the posture we take at the end of it, God brings, God brings resolution. It doesn't mean that it always leads to everybody loving everybody. But it means at least with you that God will exalt you. That you will have done what's right in God's eyes. That you will have experienced joy. That you will have the, 
the joy of knowing you've honored God. And here's what's amazing in this whole thing, I think, in James's advice for us on how we move forward in conflict. You know what's amazing? He starts off this passage saying, look, what causes, what causes fights? What causes quarrels? You're arguing with people. You're gossiping about people, blah, blah, blah. And it's all kind of you and me, right? It's all relational. It's all us versus another person. But the way to move forward, he doesn't talk about any tips. He doesn't talk about anything with the other person. He doesn't say, you got to listen. He doesn't even say, look, first go to them, then say, hey, I'd like to talk to you. He doesn't say, hey, make sure you don't text this. Make sure you say it in person. He he doesn't say any sort of relational tips. He deals all of it with just you and God. It's kind of amazing. But it's because that's the key problem. It's because that's the key issue. And the Bible talks other places. There's other places in the Bible that talks about, hey, how do we actually move forward in conflict with other people? What's the kinds of things we say and what do we do? It does talk about that. But James here doesn't touch on that. It's amazing because James is just saying, you know what's often missed in conflict? It's that there's a a thing happening between you and God before there's ever something happening between you and another person. And if you work on that, if you work on the adultery, if you work on this relationship, this stuff gets way easier. You won't read conflict books that talk about that. But James says this is the key. You see, because oftentimes in conflict, we get in these loops where we do something against another person, and then they do something against us, and then because they did that against us, we do this against them, and they say, well, you, and maybe it's even in the middle of a conversation, they say, well, you did this to me, and then we go, well, that reminds me about something you did to me. They say, well, thanks for bringing that up, because that reminds me about something you did to me, and it just, like, you can go in a big circle. And what can ever break that loop? If we step outside and go, wait, there's another person involved in all this, me and God. And it takes somebody saying, I'm not even going to focus on you right now. I'm not even going to focus on me right now. I'm going to come to God. I'm going to ask him to speak into this. I'm going to deal with the issues I have with him. It takes somebody to break that loop. It's amazing what James says. He says this is the key. There's a lot of reasons why this is the key. Part of it is because our adultery. Part of it is because when we begin to focus on God, When we begin to cleanse our hands and confess our sins to God, we experience his grace. And what happens when you experience grace from God? You cannot experience grace from God without then wanting to give it to other people. Look, somebody has sinned against you, right? And let's just say it's this big. But compared to the sin that we've done against God, it's nothing. The distance between us taking part in crucifying God And somebody not texting you back quick enough is minuscule. The difference between someone saying a mean word to you and the difference between us partnering and killing Jesus is huge. And God forgave us of that. See, so when we begin to focus on God, our heart adultery is fixed. We experience his grace, which then leads us to give grace. So many different things happen. But James' whole point is, look, you want to move forward in conflict? It's got to start with you and God. And it doesn't mean there won't be any more conflict in your life. It doesn't mean there won't ever be conflict, but it does mean this. There's some things that will be prevented. And there's some things that as you just begin to understand your heart patterns and the way forward and begin to just know, here's kind of the map, it'll become easier. You'll become to understand, oh, I'm back here again. But I know what I'm supposed to do. I know I'm supposed to go to God on this. So, a little bit heavy, huh? It's not my fault, it's James. Where's there conflict in your life? Where's there conflict in your life? Wouldn't wouldn't this be better? I I mean, I I just hope that that we would listen to this. I hope we would listen to the words of James. I know, I, I mean, I'm just taking it seriously for myself. Where's the conflict in your life? Can we today, even as we come and take communion, 
Can we today, even as we come and take communion, do the first part of what James says and submit ourselves to God and say, okay, God, there's a conflict in my life right now, and I want what you want. And as we take communion, remembering how gracious he was to us, that his body was broken and his blood was shed, can we take communion and say, God, you've gave me so much grace, even though I'm an adulterer. Would you let that flow through me to this person I'm in conflict with? So I just want to ask you, look, if this is preparatory for you, like you're not in conflict right now, but this is going to help you, then great. Just remember Jesus and how gracious he is to you. But if you're in conflict, like there's stuff going on, it hasn't been wrapped up, or I, I don't know. Look, maybe, maybe there's family members that you're not even talking to, or maybe there's people in the church you're in conflict with, or maybe it's your spouse and you still haven't even wrapped up that argument. I don't, I don't know. But I'm asking us just to actually not go home and apply something. But right now, as we take communion, to just go, okay, God, James says, step one, draw near to you. Submit to you. Can we just do that and say, God, okay, it's, here it is. It's yours. I want what you want. So I'm going to pray for us, and, and then we'll sing some songs and, and respond. And I'm just going to ask that God would move in, in our hearts and, and lead us to be a church that, that looks like a community of peace that God wants for us, a community of grace that God wants for us. Father, would you even now just bring about change? Uh, Lord, I, I pray that where there's damaged relationships, even right now, that you would, that you would heal those. That, that where there's conflict, that right now that, that you would bring about reconciliation. Whether that's family members or friends or church members or spouses or kids or I, I don't know, God, but I, I pray that there would actually be relationships that are healed beginning in this moment. Help us to submit our hearts to you, Lord. Help us to believe and dwell on and remember how gracious you've been to us that we may give that grace to others. In your name, Jesus, we pray.